Good morning, church. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." And the free gift is not like the the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespasses brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, thank you for this word. I pray that you would remove all fear, shame, anger, any stronghold that is keeping us from hearing your word this morning. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. You're going to do it anyway, but you can go. That'd be, maybe you guys just stand. We should do that one Sunday. You guys just stand up the whole time. It'll be great. Oh, man. Hey, so, uh, Glad you're here with us, glad to be in Romans. Uh, Really significant passage of scripture today, kind of heady and deep, uh, but I think we have a congregation that can certainly handle this. Uh, Well, uh, we made it through another election, didn't we? No, we did not. We did not make it through another election yet. We got another month of this, right? Um, (laughs) It's interesting. Never thought Georgia would be like the center of the world, you know what I mean, when it comes to politics. But uh, speaking of politics... Um, and that is a phrase, if you're new in the church, should terrify you if you ever hear from the pulpit, right? Something you never do is talk about politics. But speaking of politics, it's always interesting after an election, especially a presidential election, uh, we'll start seeing bumper stickers uh, that are aspirational and passive-aggressive and untrue, right? Um, and uh, here's, the, here's one that you'll see. I'll say this. Blank is not my president, right? Blank. Uh, Obama. He's not my president when Obama's in office. Trump, he's not my president when Trump is in office. Biden is not my president, right? Uh, we see these, and some of you maybe are headed out to your car right now to scrape it off before anybody sees it. Uh, but let's let the tape play out a little bit here, right? 
When your candidate loses and you put that on your car, what are you trying to actually communicate to angry, short-tempered drivers in Metro Atlanta? I think what we're trying to communicate in all seriousness is that we do not feel represented by that president, right? Isn't that what we're trying to communicate? And I, and I felt that in many ways. See, I felt, I felt an underrepresentation or a lack of representation in different areas of my life, just like you. Whether that be uh, not feeling represented by the values of the CEO of your company, right? We're representing this company and this CEO, he's, even, he's leading it in this, this direction that I don't agree with. Um, whether, whether that be the manager of your work group that's, that's representing you, uh, whether that be the team captain on your sports team, oftentimes in life, we do not feel represented. We feel, in fact, misrepresented. And, you know, I was just thinking about this this morning. It's pretty much any time I go out of the country, I feel misrepresented too. I mean, when I was in Singapore a few years ago um, with, with some classmates for my doctoral work um, there, uh, every, <laughs> every restaurant that I went to, uh, I, I started picking up on the steam. We would finish our meal as a group of, not, not completely, um, like six Americans and then, and then six folks from around the, uh, the world. We would finish a meal, and they would come to the Americans in the group, and they'd be like, do you want some more? And I started picking up on this theme that, that they think that we're like kind of this, that, that, we're, that we're, <laughs> we're always over-consuming whatever we do, right? If we're going to do it, we're going to do it to 11. They wouldn't ask the other guys, the, the Asians and the Africans in my group, they would come to me and say, you sure you don't want some more food? And I started picking up on this theme that they just assumed that I eat so much. And maybe I do, but anyway, I, I just felt misrepresented when I was in Singapore. Or, you know, any time in the last decade that I've been to Europe, the assumption uh, that I feel anyway, I don't know if it's true, is that uh, I feel like what's kind of being put on me is that all Americans are obtuse and uh, overtly boisterous as opposed to being conscientious and thoughtful, Right? And so I just, I just feel it around me when I'm in Europe. I don't know what it is, but I feel misrepresented. I don't know how it is that you feel misrepresented or underrepresented this morning, but what I do know is this, is that um, the representative nature uh, of this world is broken, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist or have any purpose. So if we go back to the election kind of idea here, we are represented by elected officials whether we want to acknowledge that or not. In other words, you can badmouth our elected officials all day, you can fill up your car with bumper stickers, but that person is actually representing you. Um, <clears throat> that is unless you defect or renounce your citizenship or leave the country, right? That, that they're representing us. Functionally, that's the only way out of being represented, right? If we, if we choose to, to leave the country. Now, why am I talking about politics in the sermon? Because biblically, today is all about who our covenantal representative is. Theologically, this is called uh, federal headship or federal theology, um, and um, it, you know, or covenantal you know headship. You can call it either either way. You know, a covenant, just to remind you, is a binding agreement between two or more parties. It's how we relate to God, and we've said this that in the garden there was this covenant of works that was established. And that covenant of works said this, do this and live, obey and live, and disobey and die. That was kind of the covenant of works that Adam entered into with the Lord, and he represented all of us uh, in that disobedience, either in that obedience, if he would have obeyed, or in that disobedience in, in which he did disobey. But Jesus comes in and, and, uh, and represents us in a new way, and we've called this the covenant of grace. And that covenant of grace 
which really is threaded throughout the whole Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, is this. I will be their God and they will be my people no matter what it takes. It's a unilateral covenant, meaning that the Lord is going to do all the work because we are dead in sin. You know, because we're dead in sin, he has to make us alive and give us new hearts. And even if you read all the way in Revelation 22, that covenant, I'll be their God and and I will be with them as their God is what Revelation 22 says. It's this beautiful promise to us. So let me just define this for us real quick and then we'll kind of get into it. Covenantal headship says this, that all of humanity is either represented by Adam under the covenant of works or by Christ, who is the second Adam, is what, is what Romans 5 says, under the covenant of grace. We're all represented before God by one of these two men. Think about that for a second. We all are represented before God by one of these two men. That's what the scriptures say. In Adam, we inherit what Adam has earned in the covenant of works, obey and live and or disobey and die, which sin leads to death is what Romans 6 tells us, right? And this is why we are all born with uh, what theologians call original sin. And what I've said about this is, is think about it like this. I think a lot of times we think that because we're sin, we're sinners. But really what the, tip, the scriptures teach because we're represented by Adam is this. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature. Yet most of the world says, Adam doesn't represent me. He's not my president, right? That's what most of the world says. That I'm not a sinner. I'm not bad. He doesn't represent me. Yet what has God done to deliver us from the curse of death that's been earned by Adam, our first father? Well, he sent Jesus, but not just any old way. How was Jesus born? Who was he born of? A virgin, right? He was born of the Virgin Mary. I know it's not Christmas yet, but I'm getting there, getting the tree out, you know, getting ready. He was born of a virgin because no man ever born in Adam could ever be our savior. Why? Because he earned sin and death. We needed another source of life, friends. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And his father is God himself, just like God was Adam's father. Now, this theological framework that I'll explore more deeply today is much different than the broken, man-made worldviews of our day. Our world says this, that we can choose our own identity, change our own story, blaze our own trail, and defy the creator's design. That's what the world says, right? Adam's not my president. Jesus is not my president. And, uh, but our issue is that we've adopted really a, a Western individualistic kind of autonomous mindset when it comes to how we relate to God. We've kind of taken our Western as opposed to Eastern values, meaning that we're, all, that we're hyper-individualistic. We are the most individualistic people who have ever walked the face of this planet. We don't see ourselves collectively as part of a larger humanity, right? Just look at election cycles. We, don't, we, we can't even be united as a country, right? So we, we carry this into our relationship with God, whereas more of an Eastern mindset is more collective, Right? It's, it sees itself as a, as, a, as a people, as a family. Um, and, uh, and this autonomous mindset, instead of this um, uh, really um, uh, kind of united mindset uh, that, that we have, uh, and so we see ourselves in this world as individuals primarily, not collectively as a larger group. And so this is why 
this idea of federal headship as being represented by either Adam or Christ seems so crazy to us because of where we live and, and when we live in history. We're each in Adam through our physical birth or we're in Christ through our spiritual birth, right? And we can say that Adam isn't my covenantal head all day long, but it's not true. It's not true. And as much as it hurts, what Adam has earned us is actually what we deserve. When it comes to damnation or salvation, it all comes down to this one question for us today. Whom do I have union with as my covenantal head? Who is representing me before the Father in heaven? When we have been accurately, fairly, and justly represented by Adam, we are owed what Adam is owed. Romans 6, I quoted it just a second ago, says this, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Adam has earned us death because he sinned. In other words, death is sin's bigger brother, right? Um, <clears throat> but the free gift of God that Romans 5 talks all about is actually, actually leads to eternal life. So we have this spiritual eternal life that's present with us, but we still have the kind of the body of Adam, right? That's all gonna change, and we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, here's what uh, John Stott in his book, Men Made New, uh, said about this, and I've kind of been leading up to this. So then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or the new humanity initiated by Christ. So that's where we're going today. That's kind of the big picture of what Romans 5 is teaching us today and the question that we all have to consider. Here's our big idea for today. Union with Christ is the key to experiencing the joy of salvation. In other words, my hope is that you will walk out, uh, walk out of here today realizing that you don't deserve to be represented by Christ before the Father in heaven, but you are through faith, and that changes everything, including your joy. So if you're a note taker, here's our outline for today. We've got three points. Uh, the first one is this, is that sin and death came into the world through Adam. The second one is this, life and grace came into the world through Jesus. And the third one is this, all of us are represented by one or the other before God. So let's dig into that first one, and, and I'm going to reread Romans 5, uh, uh, 12 through 14 for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even on those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And this is the key phrase of the whole passage right here. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. He was a representative for the people of the one who was to come, who's Jesus. So um, I, I wanna actually think about something uh, that, that maybe you're not uh, thinking that I'm gonna talk about here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually think about sin and death real quick here. One of the most beautiful things that I wanna share with you is this, is that sin and death have no place in God's finished work for you. No place. We have become, that's not good news to you today because we are so uh, uh, confronted by sin and death, right? It's all around us. We can't even fathom the fact that there's not going to be sin or death in our eternity with our Father in heaven through Jesus. That is incredible news to us. And why is it hard for us to fathom that? Because we have become so comfortable dwelling in sin, you know, with sin, around sin on the earth, because life in this world has a way of normalizing our relationship to sin and death. But they have, friend, no part of your eternity in Jesus. No relationship to sin and death any longer. 
Because sin is the fragrance of death. And death has no place in God's finished work. In Adam's finished work, it's all we have. But in God's finished work in Jesus, no place for you. Death, if we think about it, is such an intruder in our lives. People die abruptly all around us, and we just know in our gut this is not the way it's supposed to be. Our bodies are sent on this trajectory of death, and we get these terrible medical reports that, that just say that our bodies are deteriorating, and we just know that it's not the way God designed it to be. But in our hopelessness, we just get content with sin and its older brother, death, in this world. And we just submit to its reality. And what's that do to us when we do that over time? It makes us lack hope. It makes us lack hope that Jesus is actually going to accomplish what he promised to accomplish. Now this sin which leads to death, which is spread to all mankind, as Paul writes, is because of one man's sin, Adam. Now, Adam acted on behalf of the entire human race in that garden. Now, this is even evident in the garden, and I wanna show you this. You know, the responsibility of the fall is laid at the feet of who? Adam, Adam. It's not laid at the feet of Eve who initiated the disobedient action, and why? You know, because it was Eve's disobedience in the garden, and it was Adam's, you know, silence and abdication from his relationship, but it was Adam's responsibility because why? He is the covenantal head representing Eve and all of humanity, all of the posterity that would follow him. He is our representative before God. Therefore, the blame falls on Adam. Now, have you ever noticed that in our kind of autonomous, individualistic mindset, the way that we think, the way that we kind of resist what I'm talking about today, that we're represented by one of two men, have you ever noticed that the world has one glaring hole in how uh, the world speaks about sin and death? And it's this, it doesn't speak about it, right? The world doesn't talk about death. The world does, definitely doesn't link sin to death, right? And it's the thing that Jesus can't wait to tell us about and what he's done for us, that, that the scriptures can't wait to reveal to us the thing that our world is trying to avoid, the Lord puts on a spotlight for us today. Our culture does everything to try and avoid death, and it never attaches sin to death. The world overpromises and doesn't even come close to delivering when it comes to talking about this. But Jesus, who's the much better covenant head, delivers on your greatest fear, which is death. Let's read in, in uh, Romans 5, 15 through 18. But the free gift is not like the trespass, right? The gift is something given to us. The trespass is something earned by Adam for us, right? For if many died through one man's trespass, which is true in Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, which abounds for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one, because of one man's trespass, death reigned throughout that one man. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Much more, notice the, the, the language of abundance here. It's significant. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. So as Adam um, acted on behalf of the entire human race in that garden, Jesus acted on behalf of the entire human race where? On the cross, right? That's the one act of righteousness is the cross. The cross... um, The cross is the one act of righteousness that God has based all of our hope and that leads to life, not death for us. Here's what 1 John says, and I I don't have time to nuance this because some of you are gonna, anyway, I'll read it. (laughs) He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, obviously, what he's saying here is that it has the capacity to cover the sins of the whole world. But, but not the efficiency, right? Because if God, we'd, be, we'd believe in universalism if that were the case, right? Um, so there's still, it still requires faith in Jesus. But the cross is able to cover the, the sins of the whole world. So, so Adam made his decision to disobey in this plush environment of the garden. And Jesus made his decision to obey in the agony of his impending death, betrayal, and excruciating sorrow. I want to just remind you about what Jesus did for us right before, right before he goes to the cross. I think this is the moment when Jesus decides, I'm going for the cross. It comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. Scriptures say this, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. This was just after Jesus' disciples uh, were in the upper room and and, uh, and they had taken the, the Lord's table together, uh, and they, they had crossed across the Kidron Valley, uh, and they were going to Jesus' favorite place to pray, which is the Garden of Gethsemane. So, th- so that's where they're at, um, and, and it's, 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 it's the night that he's going to be betrayed. <clears throat> and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James as John, kind of the inner circle of disciples, and he is vulnerable before them, right? He opens himself to Peter and James and John. He, he shows them how excruciating and sorrowful this decision to obey and father, follow the Father's will is. And the scriptures say that he was greatly distressed and he was troubled about what laid before him. And, and he asked, he, he, Jesus in this moment of vulnerability even feels lonely, right? He says, remain here with me and watch. Just be with me. It feels lonely here, Jesus says. And going a little farther, Jesus falls on the ground and he prays that it's, if it's possible that the hour might pass from him. In other words, if it's possible any other way but that one act of righteousness, which will be the cross on behalf of all these sinners, right? If there's any other way, Father, I want that. But then you see Jesus surrender. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Right now, I can't even comprehend what this might look like, but I know I have to surrender and obey you, is what Jesus is saying. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, in that moment, Jesus faced the deepest, darkest temptation that anybody will ever face on the face of the planet. And that was to deny death and flee from the opportunity to obey and to represent each and every one of us. The thing that the world does when awareness of death surfaces, you know, to to flee, but Jesus remains. And we said that this virgin birth and this sinless life 
have qualified Jesus as a perfect man disconnected from our covenant head, Adam, right? Because he, he had to provide another way, right? We're dead in sin and trespasses in Adam. There has to be another way if Christ is going to save us. And the cross is where Jesus gives all that he is for all that we need to be saved. So on the cross, here's what happens. This is just some of the things anyway. Atonement for sin is made, right? Because the wages of sin is death, sin has to be atoned for, it has to be paid for. Wrath is propitiated, meaning if wrath is the, con the consequence of sin, it has to be directed towards someone, right? It's directed at Jesus instead of us. The gift of the Spirit is purchased with blood. The Spirit is now the power of our new life in Christ. Sinners are, are ransomed from the gift, from the grip of death by faith. And contentment with sin and death like we live now, like we experience now, is no longer our future, church. And why? Because Jesus tastes death for everyone. Listen to what Hebrews chapter two, verse nine says. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's crowned with, with glory and honor because of, how was he crowned with glory and honor? What was the crown for Jesus? The suffering of death. Jesus didn't deserve death. We deserve that, right? So that by the grace of God, the grace that Romans 5 is abundantly pouring out on believers, he might taste death for everyone. Friends, this is what Christ has done for us. He's tasted death for each and every one of us. And so when we're reminded by death, when we face and confront our own sin, when we're impacted by the sin of others, we can remember the cross that Jesus already tasted that for us. That we may experience death and sin and the consequences and effects of it on this earth, but it has no place in our future. That's good news, church. I was at a, um, I was at a friend's funeral a couple years ago, and the pastor said something that I'll never forget. It was so good that I was taking notes at a funeral. Never done that before. Um, but he said this, and this guy's name was David. <clears throat> he said, David died before he died, and because of that, he lived before he lived. Let me say that one more time. He said, David died before he died, and because of that, he lived before he lived. And what he meant by that is that he learned that because Jesus has already tasted death for him, that we don't have to be afraid of death, of the death of our flesh in this world. In other words, we can actually do the thing that Jesus called us to do, which is to take up our cross, which is an instrument of death, daily and follow me, right? He says, if anyone wants to follow me, to be my disciples, here's what it's gonna look like, you know? You're gonna have to leave your mother and your father. You're gonna have to follow me in this world. You're gonna have to experience loss in this world if you're gonna taste the life that Christ has for us. Yet our culture is aimed at running from loss, at running from suffering, at running from pain, at running from the reality of death. And it is the very place where we get Christ because he's tasted death for everyone. Perhaps one of the most countercultural things that you and I can do is to confront sin and death more often. In fact, Lean in when it surfaces in our relationships. And I'm not just talking about the death of a life. I'm talking about the death of anything, the loss of anything. It's all the breath of the enemy, right? It's all the breath 
of the pit of hell that Adam earned for us. All of it is. What would it look like for you? Because Jesus has tasted death for everyone because of that one act of righteousness on the cross that he gives as a free gift to us. What would it look like for you to lean in right now? What is it that you are content with in your life uh, that, is, that is from the old man Adam? You know, a contentment with sin and death, a contentment with covering uh, up your own vulnerabilities. What, what is it that you're just letting linger in your life right now? And it's stealing and zapping the joy of the one who's tasted death for everyone and what he wants to give to you. What is that for you? Paul says it like this in Galatians 2. This is, this is how we're thinking about sin and death and loss and sacrifice and surrender when we're in a good place with the Lord. Galatians 2 says this. Paul says, I've been, cru-, and, and, and again, we don't live here all the time, right? Because we're fallen people. But he says, I've been crucified with Christ. When I'm in a good place, I realize I've been crucified with Christ, right? That he tasted death for everyone. I've been crucified with Christ, and therefore, it's actually no longer I who live, right? I died before I died so I could live before I live. I'm not just waiting for heaven to live, right? We can live today. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The resurrection is actually palpable in my flesh today because my soul is alive. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Perhaps it's a love deficiency on our, uh, on our part, the reason why we are so terrified to be crucified with Christ. Maybe we feel as if his love will not fill that hole of surrender in our hearts. But because of what Jesus has done, because we are now represented by Jesus and not Adam, we can be crucified. The cross is no longer something just done for us, but it's something done to us so that our joy and his love can swell within us. The third thing is this. All of us are represented by one or the other before God. Let me read again Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, to make us aware of where we're actually at under Adam, in other words. But where sin increased, where, where we realize how bad we are, this amazing thing happens because of the resurrection. Grace abounds all the more. So we see that we're so sinful, grace abounds all the more. It's this miraculous uh, equation for us, right? We're so afraid of acknowledging sin and death and loss and brokenness, and God can't wait to show us how grace stomps all over it every time. This is what God has done for us. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, every time that we take up that cross and we follow Jesus and we acknowledge the fact that we're dead in our sins and trespasses and we we have to kind of adopt this cruciformed life now, every time that happens, grace abounds all the more to us. That we get more of who Jesus is every time that we face it. Now, Jesus is the better Adam. Adam came into the world, think about this, as a fully matured man, not an infant, right? In a perfect garden 
that was flush with resources. He, had, he was teed up for success, yet he was tempted and could not resist. Jesus came into this world as a baby, right? Adam didn't have to do that, but Jesus did because of the original sin that we inherited, right? He had to deal with us from start to finish. He had to come into this world just like us, more vulnerable than even Adam. Jesus lived as a toddler without sinning. Let that set in, young parents. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he was at his weakest, fasting in the desert on the 40th day, not feasting in the garden like Adam. Jesus fought the fight of faith on our behalf, and he resisted. He overcame. The world's way of delivering, delivering us from the wages of sin, which is death, is by avoiding, it's by covering up, and it's by hiding. Anytime you're in a bad place, you're doing one of those three things. Avoiding, covering up, hiding. That's what you're doing with your sin. That's what you're doing with what you're seeing of the residue of Adam in your own life, right? And when you do that, you're coming into agreement with Adam. You're saying, oh yeah, Adam does represent me because I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover my life with fig leaves. But friends, when you choose to believe that Jesus is your covenant head, you confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We walk in the light as he's in the light because he is representing us before our Father in heaven. It's a much better way to live. It is absolutely terrifying and that's why it requires faith. Just this week, I was uh, spending time. Sorry, I'm getting pretty intense here, aren't I? Um, it's important. <laughs> Just this time, I was spending time with uh, one of my kids. Uh, we were in the, in the truck driving back from our practice, and those are special times. Sometimes they're terrible times. Other times, they're great times, right? Just got to be ready when they give them to you. And, um, um, and they were confessing their temptation to me, uh, this, this particular child was. And, and to be honest, like, I felt honored. I felt honored to sit before my child and hear them walk, try to walk in the light with dad. Um, they said this to me, you know, it's so hard to look at, uh, not to look at YouTube uh, when I know I'm not supposed to. It's, it's so hard. And I know, dad, you told me not to look at YouTube. Got it. You, you, you can look at YouTube when, when you're, you're on the family computer, but, but not to go and, and through this secret way on my school tablet and look at YouTube. It's so hard knowing that I can do that and not doing it, dad. And I just felt like there was a moment where I was like, you looked at what, you know? But then I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. The Spirit of God, you know, kind of channeled my actions. And I, and, I just, and I just said to him, I said, you know, I feel exactly the same way sometimes. I can so relate to the struggle that you have. Because all of us have that struggle. The question is, do we have the courage to acknowledge that our old covenant had, that the enemy tries to, to, to convince us that we're represented by Adam instead of Christ. And the enemy tries to convince us that we've got to go about the ways of Adam instead of the ways of Christ. I want to close out our time together with a summary of what it means to be an Adam or to be in Christ. Um, Thomas Boston was a, 
a, a, pres, a Scottish Presbyterian pastor who, who pastored in the late 1600s and the early 1700s. And he came up with this thing that I've adapted for us today uh, called human nature in its fourfold state. And this is kind of, this is, this is big boy theology here, but I know you guys can handle it. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm just gonna show this to you real quick. Okay, so the, the kind of the first state of mankind is this. It's, it's what uh, theologians call the state of innocence. And this was Adam in the garden, right? Able to sin and not able to, to sin, right? I mean, he could have obeyed, right? And the freedom of Adam was this. And what we're gonna see is, is that we always have free will. Um, and sometimes the idea of free will is really bad news, okay? Uh, Adam was initially created innocent from, from sin, right? He was, he, he was only obeying the Lord in the garden. And Adam was his own covenant head, right? Initially obedient, perfectly representing all of mankind. Okay, so that one's pretty easy to get from, from Genesis. The second one is this, is the state of sin. So this is, this is able to sin and not able to not sin. Let me say that again. Able to sin, not able to not, not sin. Uh, you know, Genesis 6, Jeremiah 17, 9, always continually evil all the time. The human heart is desperately wicked. No one can understand it, right? I mean, this terrible place of total depravity, Right? And, and the, the free, the, so what does free will, what does free will do for a person who's in this fallen state represented by Adam? Well, our free will, it's true we have free will, but we're in a, in a constant state of bondage to sin, only free to sin when we're being represented by Adam, right? Because when Adam fell, we fell. And Adam accurately represents all of mankind guilty and dead in sin. And friends, if Jesus is not part of your story, this is how the story ends for you. This is it. You, you can try to say Adam's not my covenant head. He's not my president. You can put bumper stickers all over your car bashing what God's word says. But this is what is true of every person on the face of the planet when Jesus is not part of your story. Now, the good news is, is that for most of us in this room, Jesus is part of our story. He is our covenant head. And we need to learn how to live under his leadership and under his representation. And so there's this state of grace that he invites us into by faith, right? This state of grace means this, is that we're able to sin and not able to sin, right? Romans 6 and 7, why do I always do the things I don't wanna do, right? Why do I look at YouTube when I know I'm not supposed to? Whatever it is for you, right? We're in this place where we just wish we were constantly farther along, right? That, that's, that's, and by the way, that's the way it feels to be a Christian, right? right? We wish that we were farther along. And anytime that we feel like we're doing good, anyone, you know, if you get in that place, the scriptures say, hey, take heed because you're gonna fall, right? So, um, so what's the status of our free will in those moments? Like, what is it that we do, right? Uh, it, it means this, is that we actually have the freedom to be faithful. We, we actually have the freedom to obey. We actually have the freedom to follow Jesus, because we're alive in Jesus. We've been given these new hearts. They've been made alive. God's raised us from the dead by faith. Yet we have this imperfect imperfection in our, in our obedience, right? We want to obey, but we can't do it all the time. We can't be Jesus. We need Jesus representing us. The Bible calls that the process of sanctification, right? This is what Paul's kind of starting to talk about in Romans 5 through 8 for us. What's it like to live in the sanctification process of salvation? And our covenant head is no longer Adam because by faith we've trusted Christ. And what's that mean? It means that Jesus represents all who walk by faith, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father representing you right now if you have faith in him. And he has sent his spirit to apply his work to your life through his word. 
That, that, that's what Jesus is doing. And, and, and he's justified us once and for all. It's a one-time action. We are declared righteous before our Father in heaven, and he is sanctifying us day by day. We wish we were further along, but we're actually right where God wants us in the process. Hard to understand. And the last state is this, is the state of glory. Most people think that this is what uh, the state that we're in when we become Christians. And this is why it's so disappointing to live as a Christian sometimes, right? It's because we think that we should no longer sin. God never set that expectation for you. Do you know that? Before Jesus returns and you have his perfect presence with perfect bodies, God never set this expectation that you're never gonna sin. This is why he makes the provision of the cross for us, causes us to confess our sin and walk in the light, right? He wouldn't say that if we didn't have to do that, right? Am I, are y'all listening to me? We here? We good? Okay, good. Okay, so, so we have this freedom of glory, right? It means that we're perfectly glorified, free to do, only good for all of eternity. In other words, sin and death will no longer ever be a part of your story when Jesus returns and we are in the state of glory. Great news for us. And Jesus is our covenantal head will be in our presence, friends. He won't just be with the Father representing us. He won't just send the Spirit as our guarantee and our security, but he will be with us. The scriptures say there'll be no need for a son, right? Because the Son of God will light up the world and we'll be with him forever and these old Adam-like bodies will finally be restored, amen? Yeah, it's good news when Jesus represents us. We've been delivered from the consequences of sin and death, but we have not yet been delivered from the influence and presence of sin in this world. This cruel intruder on God's design is death, but Jesus is delivering us from it. I, I wanna close by reading 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26, which kind of sums up what we've looked at today. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by, as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Man, that's good news. It's good news. The Lord knows about your greatest fear and he wants to meet you as we wade through this world. So friends, as we turn to this table here, those who are still in Adam have no need to be spiritually strengthened today by Christ. <clears throat> you do have a need, but you don't think that you have a need. This table is for those whose covenant head is Jesus Christ. Um, and it deeply saddens me to know that some in here have not yet trusted Jesus. But those of us in here who have, I want you to know that you're covered by the blood and that Jesus knows your struggle in the sanctification journey. And we need faith and fresh faith to be strengthened by coming to us at this table. And at this table, what do we do? Well, we lay down all the ways we've tried to resurrect our old life in Adam, and we cling to the ways that, all the ways that God has promised to deliver us as we walk and follow Jesus. And so uh, I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna turn to this table and as we turn to it, I want you to remember that Jesus is representing you and you're coming to this table to strengthen the union that you have between him uh, as we're reminded about what he's done for us. So let's pray together and we'll go to the table. Father, I uh, thank you uh, that Jesus 
is seated at your right hand right now. And just as Adam accurately represents all of us and all of our consequences of sin by ultimately delivering lost sinners to death, Father Jesus and his grace abounds all the more. It abounds so deeply uh, and so vastly because Jesus has trampled over death through the, re- through the cross and the resurrection. And so, Lord, as we come to this table now, Father, I pray that you would strengthen the bond, strengthen the faith that we have that Jesus is actually who he says he is. And, Father, would, that, would the strength of that bond give us the courage to wade through the sin of this world the Lord's way instead of Adam's way? And so, God, I, I pray that you'd meet us in this time as we turn to the table, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.